This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Good morning, Seattle, and welcome to Beneath the Frozen Sea, the DavyJonesLockerRoom.com podcast, where we cover the recently streakless Seattle Kraken. Yes, it's over. 10-game point streak, 9-game win streak, and they lost it in the most anticlimactic way possible, but that's not what I want to talk about. It stinks, but it's given them what they needed to get back into contention. Maybe not like a true playoff spot, but at the very least, they will now be threatening for it for the rest of the season. No, I want to be talking about the next couple of weeks and how hard it is all going to be. Because the Columbus game and the Penguins game featured some crippling, crippling losses in terms of manpower. First, let's talk about the week as it stood. It started in Buffalo. Everything looked like it was going to be okay. They kind of had a boat race out there in Western New York. That's all good. They don't have to be defensively responsible performances every night, just most nights, if that's okay. They won that game 5-2. Next up, they played the Washington Capitals and pretty handily dealt with them. They played a pretty strong 4-1 game. They got goals from Cartier, Wenberg, Justin Schultz, and Adam Larson. Joey Decord had to stand on his head again, but hey, he seems pretty up for it, so good win there. And all of this leads to a Columbus Blue Jackets game on Saturday. This had all the earmarkings of a trap game. Columbus is not great, 
and they're kind of going through some personnel concerns, but they work hard. And that's sort of been their ethos. No matter what they look like, they will outwork you as hard as they can. And you know what? They started on time. That's something you cannot say for the Kraken. They got two goals off of Ivan Provorov, which just made my blood boil. I don't like Ivan Provorov. He is directly responsible for all of that confusion, all of those fights about pride jerseys in the NHL, and he is the reason they are no longer doing them as they are intended to be by just wearing a jersey for 15 minutes during warm-ups. As such, I have wished nothing but negative things on him since this happened, and he paid me back by spending the entire game on Hattrick Watch. But they got back into it. Jordan Eberle got them on the board, and then McCann scored, and then it just sort of became a boat race. And if it stayed a boat race, then I would be talking about just how much fun it was, how bad it was for my heart health, you know, all that good stuff that we talk about after high-scoring NHL games. But no, the big news coming out of that game came in the second period. At about the 12-minute mark of the second period, Cole Sillinger boarded Matty Beneers near the benches, and then all hell broke loose. Vince Dunn immediately hopped on him, just absolutely tuned up Cole Sillinger, and good job for doing so. Sillinger was assessed a penalty on the play, but Beneers had to leave the game and has since been placed on injured reserve. He did not play in the Penguins game. I'm gonna be real with you, this sucks. It sucks because A, if this turns out to be a concussion, then that's two concussions in a very short amount of time, both on penalized plays that were very obvious. Namely, on boarding plays. I thought that the refs said they were going to take care of this this year. I thought they were going to come down much harder on this kind of thing. And yet, Cole Sillinger continues to remain a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets roster. Very cool job, referees. Thank you so much for your help. You make the game safer for absolutely nobody. And even if Matty has had a slow start to his season, which he has, he has gotten immeasurably better by playing with Tomasz Tatar this year. He was turning a corner, and now he's out, and even worse, this is probably going to set him back. He can't afford these kind of setbacks. Certainly the Kraken can't. But they did end up inevitably winning that game. They had an insane third period, ripping off three goals throughout the entire period, and eventually winning the game 7-4. And now we come to yesterday's game. Just about everything that could have gone wrong to start, not only did, but started well before game time ever came. This was a cursed game from the beginning because they had to completely rejigger the timing because of a giant snowstorm that hit the Buffalo area. So already this was off to a phenomenal start, having to play an unplanned matinee game because of a storm miles away from where you were against a maybe not ideal, but improving Pittsburgh team. They're 6-2-2 in their last 10. They look really good. Certainly looked a lot better against the Kraken, but that whole thing starts with Vince Dunn going day-to-day -day before the game even begins. Dave Haxtell says that it had something to do with his hand swelling up. I imagine it came from punching Cole Sillager on the helmet several different times. If he's got to be day-to-day -day for that, then fine. But then, as if to make sure that it not just rains but pours for Seattle, Adam Larson was apparently under the weather and could not continue to play 
after the halfway point of the second period, meaning that the Kraken basically had to play with two defense pairings and make Jamie Alexiak play almost a half hour of hockey. It shouldn't surprise you how the results came out. The Pens dominated Seattle by the tune of three to nothing. Whoo boy, that was a rough, long weekend. And it only gets harder tonight because they are playing the New York Rangers. Now, before we get into that, I do have some positives coming out of that Pittsburgh game. Riker Evans was once again in the lineup for the first time in a good long time, and he looked ready. I think genuinely they need to start thinking about moving some of these older players out so that Riker Evans can play more. And that's nothing against guys like Brian Dumoulin or Justin Schultz, you know, purely as examples. But he was given a bad situation. He was forced to play a lot of minutes, a lot more mature minutes than maybe a guy his age should be doing in the NHL. And he led the team in shooting attempts. He led the team in unblocked shooting attempts. And he led the team in quality shots as a defenseman. He was all over the ice for the Kraken, and they kind of needed him to be because they were all out of sorts. He had an absolutely fantastic game. I really hope he keeps it up against the Rangers so that he forces Dave Haxtell to have a very good problem. The other big positive is, of course, Joey. Joey Decord was amazing, again. He's still the starter until further notice. Had a 9.38 save percentage. He was very, very good. The only goals that he gave up were ones that, frankly, I'm not sure he had much of a shot with. That Dylan O'Connor goal is much easier to do when you have an Adam Larson shoving him out of the way. Good game for him, so it's looking like they're going to be playing Chris Dreger against the Rangers, which I don't 100% understand, especially considering the Rangers are, like, really good and have, like, a lot of really high-end finishing talent. And you just lost your entire first pair to day-to-day -day injury and also illness? There isn't really much of a guarantee that they'll come back. I don't know about that one, Chief. But hey, you do you, I guess. I still think that the Kraken can probably beat the Rangers. It's just going to be a very hard hill to climb. One of their big dirty secrets is that they really don't have the puck all that much but they have such good finishing talent and they have such a lights out power play that it almost doesn't matter. And that's not good for the Kraken because um, uh, their power play isn't ideal right now and their penalty kill is even less ideal. And they just lost their entire first pairing. I have to come back to that. But the plan of attack is still the same. If you can force them to defend, if you can force them in net front scrambles, force them to give up second chance shots, I think you can beat the vaunted group of Jonathan Quick and Igor Shosturkin. A real sentence I just said. For those who are still new to hockey, Jonathan Quick was supposed to be washed like, looking at my invisible watch here, uh, six years ago. And now he has a better save percentage than Igor Shosturkin, a guy everyone thought was going to be the next Lundqvist. This sport is weird. But the Kraken should get up for this one because this is a tune-up for the week's actual big challenge. The unfortunate Hydra that now bespoils our lands, the Edmonton Oilers of 2024. They are a genuinely very good team that plays an awful lot like the Rangers do. So you gotta treat this as though you're playing the Oilers. Because the Oilers are healthy, 
they are playing amazing, and they completely usurped the entire conversation from the Kraken on improbable win streaks. Oh yeah, and you gotta fly to them after this game's over. This has been a very interesting, interesting road trip. I just wish it was less interesting. Anyway, as a result of Matty Beneers going on injured reserve due to an undisclosed injury, John Hayden will be taking his spot in the lineup. He was an emergency call-up from Coachella Valley. Hayden has had a pretty decent start to his season. He has 10 points in 33 games with the Firebirds. I imagine he is going to slot in on the fourth line with every other center moving up one line. Speaking of the Firebirds, let's check in on Shane Wright, who has been playing honestly very well. Wright is having an excellent season down in Coachella Valley. He has 24 points in 32 games and a, and a second on the team, but very close to first on the team, goal scoring of 14 in 33 games. Seems like just about every time I check in on the Firebirds, they are either struggling to beat the Ontario Reign, which I really don't understand, or Shane Wright has two points, and that's huge. It's huge because finally we're starting to see him in a reasonable, smooth development track, and he looks great. He looks fine. He looks absolutely fantastic. Could we use him? I don't know, maybe. A big issue coming into his last couple of NHL games is that honestly he kind of got filled in, and now I feel like Shane could be a much more useful player now that he's used to pro-style offenses, now that he's used to pro-style speed, and he could be a bigger deal. But honestly, I feel like now's not the time to do this. And I know we want to know when Shane Wright is going to be the center of the future that we all want him to be. The reality is, A, do you really want to subject him to A, the New York Rangers, and B, the Edmonton Oilers on the same road trip? No, I don't think so. I think if you want him in the lineup, you want him back at home where he can be in a much more impactful role against a bunch of teams that are maybe not nearly as good as the Oilers or the Rangers. It sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here about this, but that's kind of the Shane Wright conundrum. He's looking good enough that you could maybe get him in for a couple games, but it feels like you absolutely need to keep his confidence up because he got so sidetracked over the last year. You need him to understand the basic level of competition that he's going to see throughout the Pacific Division and the Western Conference as a whole. I am willing to play the patient route if it means that Shane Wright is as impactful as he can be coming into the end of his ELC. It's just now we're starting to see the player that we all kind of wanted to see, and you can't help but feel a little jumpy, you know? It's the same thing with Vili Adovainen, who a lot of people have a lot of positive things to say about, but, you know, I'm willing to wait until he's ready to get in the game. I don't want any Kraken prospect to have to go through the rigmarole that Shane did ever again. Besides, if history has shown us anything, it seems like Kraken prospects always graduate when the chips are down and they desperately need them. So look for Shane Wright to debut full-time as an impactful player during Game 2 of the Western Conference quarterfinals. I don't know, I'm just spitballing. Or I've been given the gift of prophecy. You won't know. You'll just have to come back to this and tell me whether or not I'm right. Anyway, the Firebirds are... Anyway, in more general Firebirds nudes, they're doing a lot better than they were when we last checked in on them. They're actually... sitting at 44 points in the standings. They are tied almost entirely 
with the Ontario Reign. They've got a 20-11-3 record tied with the Reign. The only difference is, of course, goal differential. Hopefully they can keep up the good work and finally surpass them and once again take on the crown of Pacific Kings. They just finished up a very good game against the Henderson Silver Knights, where they beat them 5-2. Alright, first half done, now it's time for some general NHL news. The big thing that came out of this week was the All-Star jerseys. Yes, the All-Star game in Toronto will have their own All-Star jerseys, and buddy, they look bad. Each conference is in a primary color, and the jersey has a gigantic star that looks like a Hardee's logo, or perhaps a McDonald's logo, with the trademark horizontal striping of Adidas in black and gold. This, of course, does not look good on the colors that they chose for the jerseys, and the NHL logo itself looks kinda like graffiti-ish, or like it was made by someone with a bunch of markers. I don't know, it looks off, it looks cartoony. And let me be clear, normally I would not care what the All-Star Game jersey looks like. I am not going to talk about the All-Star Game. I really don't care all that much about the All-Star Game. But man, that was almost impressively bad. This was made in collaboration with Justin Bieber's fashion line known as the House of Drew and doing some cursory looking over at the House of Drew's normal stuff on their website. I am not going out on a limb by saying, A, this is actually the most busy design they have ever made, and B, I think it all looks a little too simple. It kind of looks like stuff that was made as like a graphic design is my passion sort of deal. It looks like a lot of this should be on Gildan sweatshirts, if I'm being perfectly honest. And again, I probably wouldn't care about this if it were any other year. But number one, the All-Star Game jersey from last year was awesome. Absolutely awesome. They should have just kept it like that forever and updated it with team-specific or city-specific colors. That I can live with. This jersey just looks bad. They look really amateurish. They look like something that, I don't know, the Mighty Ducks would wear when they get to the NHL. There's just something uncanny about them that really sets me off, and I just can't handle it. It doesn't look very good, but this just sort of galvanizes my opinion that the NHL doesn't really care much about the All-Star game, and the players don't either, so why should I? I'm really starting to feel for Oliver Bjorkstrand. I really wish he could have just gone to San Diego instead. Hopefully another Airbnb comes up for him. Anyway, in international hockey news, the Women's Under-18 Worlds, which is the closest thing to a World Juniors that the women's game has, just wrapped up two days ago, and buddy, the United States is once again on top. Congratulations to them. They played an absolutely lights-out tournament. They beat the dog snot out of so many teams. It's just so nice that, finally, the world sees it as I see it, that the United States is the grandest hockey nation, perhaps of all time. Can't think of any nations that could possibly come close. You may send all of your complaints on that last bit to Scott Wheeler at The Athletic. And in milestone news, Marc-Andre Fleury of the Minnesota Wild ended up getting his 552nd win in the NHL, and that puts him at sole possession of second place on the career wins list. He got mobbed by the Wild the minute the buzzer hit zero. It was a great night for him. Congratulations on your milestone. 
And uh, please forget this the next time the Wild and the Kraken play. And that's just about it. It was a slow news week. It ultimately comes down to how the Kraken handle the next couple of games that will decide pretty much how we cover them for basically the rest of the year. Because basically the rest of the year is going to be about either figuring out whether or not you want to sell or whether or not you want to go all in and try your hand at the playoffs. And given the injury list you are currently accruing, it's pretty tough to make that call right now. I don't know. We'll see what they're like when they get home after they play the Oilers. They will have a slightly better schedule coming out of that. But still, Kraken have a big test tonight against the New York Rangers. That is at 4 p.m. Pacific time. I will be watching it, and I hope you will find some excuse to watch it at your desk at work. If you like Beneath the Frozen Sea, you will almost certainly like it when it gets a new name. We will be rebranding the podcast in the next coming weeks. Nothing about it is going to change. I am still going to be the host, and I am still going to be occasionally bringing on DavyJonesLockerRoom.com writers to talk about the Seattle Kraken, as well as stuff that I feel like is particularly interesting. Please keep an eye out for that. And as always, if you like the Beneath the Frozen Sea podcast, you can take a look at our written content over at DavyJonesLockerRoom.com, where myself, Allison Zayam, Joe Lee, and M are currently doing our best to bring you the toppest of top shelf Kraken analysis and news as it comes out. I will see you once the Kraken get back home. And I'll see you for the preview of tonight's game against the Rangers over at DJLR.com. This should be a good game to watch, so please try to find a way to watch it. My name is Sky. Thank you for listening to Beneath the Frozen Sea. And as always, go Squids! (laughs) 